Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our study this Sunday is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Consider carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise people. Make the most of your time, because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, which causes you to lose control. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, by speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your hearts to the Lord, by always giving thanks for, the, for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of our Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, who here thinks that alcohol has a positive effect on our senses and reflexes? I don't see any hands. So if that's the case, I promise you that YouTube will be out of business before I can finish this sermon. I don't think there are many sober people that would argue this point. In the same sense, no one would argue that driving drunk is a safe or wise thing to do. You might have a slightly better argument with the so-called recreational drugs, but still, any reasonable person realizes that one doesn't function normally under the influence. Because that's the whole point of getting drunk or high. But what if science developed some perfectly safe drug, instead of impairing our driving skills, actually improve them with better vision, better response times, more attention to road conditions, traffic, speed limits, other than making my job as a police officer a whole lot easier? Would, wouldn't people choose to have this, to take this drug, this new drug? What if before getting on the road, people were given a choice. The new drug or a bottle of whiskey. What would people choose? It'd be a no-brainer. The new drug, right? We'd like to think so. But seeing how many people today are truly no-brainers and still choose to drive under the influence of something that they know is dangerous, we can't assume that people will behave reasonably no matter how clear the choices are. We call such behavior, among, among other words, foolish. Our psalm today and the reading from Proverbs both draw out this contrast between wisdom and foolishness. Spiritually wise people choose life and prosperity. Spiritually foolish people choose death and destruction. The verses preceding our text have presented a question. How does the God who saved us want his children to live? The answer continues in the verses before us this morning. St. Paul tells us, consider carefully then how you walk. Walk in this case meaning live. And then he presents the same contrast between wisdom and foolishness. As Christians, as thankful, redeemed children of God, we do not want to be under the influence of evil. Wise people don't do that. Wise people want to be thriving under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Consider carefully how you walk, Paul says. The basic meaning is live or walk around with extreme care. So he certainly isn't talking about living your life 
just to exist. He's talking about our behavior, about how we live our lives. Don't live as fools. Live as wise children of God. And that means we make the most of our time, the most out of every opportunity. Clearly, we want to value the gifts we've been given, and we take good care of them, especially the wisdom that comes with knowing Christ as our Savior. But we also place a high value on our time and on the events that fill our daily lives. Just as we make the most of our money by getting the lowest prices, the best bargains, and maximizing our profits, we also redeem the time by maximizing the spiritual profit of what we do and experience. Practically, what does this mean? It means that we will not be satisfied to be like the famous trio of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Instead, we, we keep our eyes open to the world around us, our ears listening for every opening for the gospel, and our lips ready to speak the words that bring life and wisdom to those who lack judgment. Every day we have on this earth is filled with opportunities to strengthen our faith, and not just through meditation on God's word, but also, also through the choices we make. We exercise our faith when we choose what to watch on TV or what to think about on the bus ride home. We work out our faith when we choose how to respond to traffic troubles or how we react to our spouses when he or she is having a bad day. We condition our faith when we determine whom we spend our days with and what we spend our nights doing. And every day is also filled with opportunities to save other people from the fate of foolish, foolishness, to snatch them from the clutches of Satan. Wise people living under the Holy Spirit's influence cannot stand idly by while death and destruction overtake the unwise. The situation is urgent. The days are evil. Do you think evil sits idly by? No. Wickedness loves company. Think of it as a vacuum or a black hole, just sucking everything that it can into the darkness which, from which there is no escape. Every age of the earth has had its vices, but it seems that our, our world today has embraced them all. Every form of sex, sexual immorality, of greed, of corruption, of materialism, of violence, are celebrated and worshipped by our world. But let's not be fooled. The temptation of these evils are just as deadly for us as they are for unbelievers. So Paul reminds us, don't live as fools. Live as wise people. And the key, the key to understanding all of this is understand what the, what the will of the Lord is. How do we understand God's will? Well, the answer to that is easy. We spend our lives seeking that knowledge by listening to what he has to say, which means we study and meditate on his word, the Bible. Don't look for understanding anywhere else, because it's only in his book that we learn his will for all of us, his plan for salvation, that he wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's only there in God's word that we learn the full extent of our offenses against God. It's only there in God's law 
that we are forced to face our absolute sinfulness and utter helplessness before him. But it's also only there we can see a God of love and grace who met the very first sin with a promise of a Savior from that sin. It's only there in his gospel that we are shown that Savior, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law with his suffering, death, and resurrection. And again, it's only in the Bible that we can learn how to please God, which should be and is the desire of all who have already felt his forgiveness. Understand the Lord's will. What God wants for us and all people is is eternal blessings. What he wants from us is our hearts, our love, our trust, our praise, and our grateful response of service. As the verses from Proverbs invited you to do, take a seat at wisdom's table. Live and thrive under her influence. Let it be her food and wine which fill and nourish us. Better that than getting drunk on wine, which Paul gives here as a strong and vivid example of foolish living. There apparently was a problem with this among the Ephesians. Paul's words here might be more accurately described or translated as, stop, just stop getting drunk on wine. We can almost hear their response. But why, Paul? What's wrong with a little wine or beer or liquor? Well, nothing really, as we German Lutherans know. A Christian can enjoy these in moderation. But getting drunk is another matter. We make the same argument as the Ephesians. Come on, Paul. What's wrong with getting drunk in a while? Drunk once in a while. It's fun. And it can be funny, especially if we're on the other end of the camera on the YouTube video. I doubt the Ephesians made that particular argument, but I guarantee the peer pressure argument stands the test of time. I have to drink a lot to fit in. It's what the cool people do. Nobody's getting hurt. What's the big deal? Well, in Paul's day, they had no nice scientific clinical word for alcoholism. But Paul understood the end results of drunkenness. Scripture, in numerous places, pulls the mask off of drunkenness and exposes and condemns it as evil. Paul tells us it's a big deal because getting drunk or high pushes God out of our hearts and lives. It leads to loss of control to the godless, life-wasting pursuit of empty pleasures. And note that Paul didn't specify any particular kind of drunkenness. Social, only on the weekends, everyday alcoholism. His point is that any drunkenness, excuse me, any drunkenness, any giving up of control to wine is a foolish and spiritually fatal habit. But it's a sin which Christ went to the cross to obtain forgiveness for. Paul gives an alternative to uh, drunkenness, a much better choice for the wise believer. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He's not talking social or only on Sundays. This is to be a constant and continuous filling of your life and heart 
one which leaves no room for foolish pursuits and practices. Paul goes on to describe what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's unclear whether this was ever considered a legitimate therapy, but years ago, people who stuttered were sometimes told to overcome their stuttering by singing what they had to say. I sang last time in my sermon. I'm not going to sing this time. Don't, you don't have to worry about that. The idea was their words flowed more smoothly from their hearts and minds in the form of a song. There's a similar principle involved on a spiritual level. The things our hearts and minds want to say to our God and to each other are often spoken best in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And when we're thriving under the, spirit, uh, the Spirit's influence, we have a lot to say. But do you stutter sometimes when it comes to speaking to your brothers and sisters? We all do. Someone has a problem, but you just don't know what to say. Or worse yet, you know that you used to know what to say. That truth, that little, that Bible verse that stuck somewhere in the back of your mind. Someone is, someone is facing a tough challenge. And all you can think of is good luck. Or someone has news, good news. And you feel in your heart that something profound should be said. And all you can muster is, that's great. How much better would it be if we had a song or hymn verse or a song that's ready at these times? If we were simply more in the habit of expressing our faith to each other. People have sometimes accused our churches of being spiritually dead. Not because God's word wasn't being preached but because no one ever spoke or sang as though their faith made any difference in their lives. Now, we know that's not the truth, but we have to admit that sometimes we stutter when it comes to sharing God's word with believers and unbelievers. This is why we have our catechism and Sunday school students memorize scripture verses and hymns so that they will have a lifetime treasury of God's word ready in their minds, and on their lips. It's not just for them. It's for all of us. We want those psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs stored and ready so we can all sing through our stuttering. And even when we have no one to speak to but our Lord, being filled with the Spirit means we will sing and make music in our hearts. Mostly, we will do this by giving thanks and praise to our God, our Father, at all times and for all things. Now, that's easier said than done. Of course, it's easy to say thanks to God when things are going well for us. But always giving thanks for everything means an attitude and expression of gratitude, gratitude even at the worst of times. When our heart, excuse me, when our health is failing, when we've had an accident, when there's trouble in our family, when we're facing unemployment. This is where we look again to God's promise and just let, let the Holy Spirit fill us. Under his influence, we can remember that God has promised to work all things out for the good of those who love him. Using God's wisdom, we realize that even while we are suffering the pains of this world, we are thriving in God's care. And when we consider who Christ is and what he has done for us, we know that we have peace. God is not angry with us anymore because Christ reconciled us to him. We have love 
There is no greater proof than than Christ's cross. We have strength. God's own almighty power has been available to us through prayer in Jesus' name. We have forgiveness. We have joy. We have comfort. We have wisdom. We have hope. Thriving under the Spirit's influence, we realize that Thanksgiving doesn't come just on the last Thursday of November. It's every day, every hour, every thought, every breath that makes up the believer's life. There's an old Christian question that's meant to provoke thought and self-examination. You may have seen it on a bumper sticker. If being Christian were a crime, would there be enough to conv- to evidence to convict you? Well, how about enough probable cause just to get arrested? Consider carefully how you walk, how you live your life. Make the most of your time and every opportunity. Understand what the Lord's will is. Fill your speech full of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Give up drunkenness. So instead of getting pulled over by me for a DUI, you are rightly accused of a TUI for thriving under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that is good news that demands more than a, hey, that's great. Thank the Father with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.